Hi, my name is Ajene Dawkins, and I'm currently budgeting to give Beyonce whatever coins are required for me to have a seat at her concert. And hi, I'm Brittany Rogers, and I've entered the phase of adulting where I'm officially starting to like daydream about remodeling my house, especially my bathroom. I love that for you. A clawfoot tub best would do the work of the Lord for me. I want a clawfoot tub added to the vision board. I'm not doing this with you. To the 10-year vision board. (laughs) And we are your co-host of Verses. The podcast where poets confront the ideas that move them. I'm super excited because today we're going to be interviewing Jericho Brown. But before we get into that interview, Bess, how are you feeling today? I'm all right. I'm decent. What about you, Bess? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm thinking a lot about um, poems. Shocker. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And (laughs) I'm wondering, what is your, like, too easy intro into a poem when you're writing <laughs> like what's your like signature if I start with this I could go somewhere because I know exactly how this how this dance move goes hmm, when I'm wishing um <laughs> <laughs> I think either starting with the word now Or I think it's easiest for me to enter a poem if it's something that has to do with like motherhood. Mm. It's that's, I think, my easy entryway. And then I have to figure out like, okay, girl, what are you really talking about? And does this have anything to do with just this metaphor and this experience that you're so familiar with that it's the easiest to like? It's the easiest language to access. What about you, Miss? I think for me, it's funny because mine is what is my too easy now is actually a corrective tool that I use because of my previous one. So you know that in my poems, I used to spend the first three stanzas avoiding what the poem was about. Yes, <laughs> yes I do. <laughs> Ta- beating around the bush, the queen of it. And to, and to break myself out of that, I started, I actually learned this from you. I started opening my poems with a declarative statement of like exactly what I was going for so that I couldn't avoid the topic for the rest of the poem. So a lot of my poems now start with like a declarative statement that I might end up editing out. But the first draft, I'd be like, let me just put it, (laughs) let me just put it in the first line. So Brittany don't say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I have to stop with the, I did this. Or I feel this. <laughs> Gotta let the people know. <laughs> Gotta be real clear. So yeah, that is that's my too easy now, and I'm I'm like oh, we should work on that. Um. <laughs> Ooh, on that note, we are very excited to talk poetry and craft with Jericho Brown today. Jericho Brown is author of the tradition for which he won the Pulitzer Prize, along with the award-winning collections Please and the New Testament. He is the recipient of fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard, and the National Endowment for the Arts. He is the director of the Creative Writing Program and a professor at Emory University. Let's get into it. I'm so excited. Jericho, would you do us the honor of reading us a poem to open the show? Sure, Brittany. Say thank you. Say I'm sorry. I don't know whose side you're on, but I am here for the people who work in grocery stores that glow in the morning and close down for deep cleaning at night. 
right up the street and in cities I mispronounce, in towns too tiny for my big black car to quit, and in every wide corner of Kansas where going to school means at least one field trip to a slaughterhouse. I want so little, another leather-bound book, a gimlet with a lavender gin, bread so good when I taste it I can tell you how it's made. I'd like us to rethink what it is to be a nation. I'm in a mood about America today. I have PTSD about the Lord. God save the people who work in grocery stores. They know a bit of glamour is a lot of glamour. They know how much it costs for the eldest of us to eat. Save my loves and not my sentences. Before I see them, I draw a mole near my left dimple, add flair to the smile they can't see behind my mask. I grin or lie, or maybe I wear the mouth of a beast. I eat wild animals while some of us grow up knowing what gnocchi is. The people who work at the grocery don't care. They say, Thank you. They say, sorry, we don't sell motor oil anymore. With a grief so thick, you could touch it. Go on. Touch it. It is early. It is late. They have washed their hands. They have washed their hands for you. And they take the bus home. I love hearing you read poems. It's like literally one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. That's nice. That's nice to hear. You have such a distinguishable like cadence that I'm like, I feel like somebody could put on a video and I'm like, oh, no, I know that's Jericho. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because it's changed over the years, I've noticed, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think I used to read a lot slower. And now when I'm reading, I want to um, get to the end of the sentence. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to me that I've sped up. I've sped up a lot more. Um, Yeah. But I'm still trying to pause, particularly at... um, at line breaks, I find myself still doing more pausing than I than I um, than I would if I was reading a paragraph. So yeah, it's changed. We used to always say that you sounded like a pastor. You sounded like somebody's pastor. Oh, that's great. That makes me happy. I'm in a move about America. I have PTSD, by the way. That's the epigraph for my entire life. <laughs> I know, right? Isn't that something? Oh my gosh! It seems not to have stopped either. Mm. This is cr- it's such a it's really I keep bizarre. F- wanting not to say that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because it can't be true. And yet, I do think it's different. I do feel different about the times in which we're living. I keep thinking I'm also older. Yeah. But I do feel like I'm having experiences my parents did not have. Absolutely. At this age. That, yeah. And that they, my dad, I talked to my dad about this, you know, earlier in the pandemic. And he was like, I just never... I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. You know, so I do think something different is going on at every level, you know, obviously the public health level, but also the political level. Also, things are different. I think racially, I think people are seeing each other differently and yet there is not less racism. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really interesting. I feel like we hit 2016 and then I feel like there was like a long kind of like downslide for me. And I kept saying like, oh, no, this is a rough season. This is a rough season. This is a rough season. And then I looked up and years had gone by. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, what is this? And a huge part of it was just the way that the world was 
moving, yeah. And I think it was, or it is, a really jarring thing to go from, like, coming to my grandparents to talk about things and them always having a reference. Well, in mm-hmm. 80, so, 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 in 50, whatever, and them having all of these years where, like, this is what happened then. Child, we've seen all this before. Ain't nothing new to know this is something new. So has y'all's writing habits changed? Since the pandemic? Or yeah. just... Yeah, And I don't know if this is true for both of us, but there's a lot of things conflating because me and Brittany both started our MFA together mm-hmm. in the pandemic. So likely things would have been changing regardless because we went from yeah, yeah, yeah. being writers and doing things like the watering hole and, you know, the different retreats and stuff we went to to being a part of an MFA program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't even track it. Yeah. So this it's hard to track what is too. It's hard to track pandemics because related. so many other things are happening. As time. well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I wasn't writing at all. And then I was pretending to write. I mean, maybe what I would, what should say is what writing I was doing was very bad. I just wasn't writing well. Mm. Um, and part of that, I think, had to do just with illness, not being physically well. I mean, there was a point at which I couldn't really sit up for long periods of time to write. And then I think part of it had to do with what... Um, People interpret it as success and me having some fear of my own, of getting my own work done. Uh, But I think I'm moving past that finally because I've been writing again, which feels great. It's nice to know that I'm still a writer. (laughs) I'm still a poet. You know what I mean? At least I feel scared. In the time between poems, I'm always like, is there going to be another one? There's something in me that wonders, is it, was that it, you know? So. Yeah, I'm glad that wasn't it. No, I think especially with finishing, like, the MFA, we really haven't had time to think about it because it's only been, like, a month or so. We've been kind of on the go. But for me especially, like, I know we met at Watering Hall during, like, a manuscript coaching retreat. Um, And the work that I was working on then, shortly thereafter, I was like, "Mm, this isn't doing, like, what I wanted to do to be a thing that lives in the world. Um. And so I collapsed it, and then I started something new, and then that was great. But then now I'm like, oh, now what do I write about? Like, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. If I don't have like, if I don't have a deadline, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or this mm-hmm. larger thing that I'm thinking on, mm-hmm. do I still remember how to do this thing? Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. Is it fear of, or was it anxiety or fear of, do I have something to say, or is this thing going to be as effective as the work I was doing before? Well, I think. I knew I didn't have anything to say. And I think for me, writing happens much in the same way that I listen to music. I don't really listen to a lot of contemporary music. I sort of have it around me or I go out or I hear it in passing on the radio, but I can't get excited about it until I have memories to attach to it. So I probably knew more, um, although I did listen to that one a lot when it was out. I listened to Brandy's Never Say Never a lot when it was out, I remember. But I felt better about it. I felt even more strongly about it seven years after it had come out because I had the memories of what we were doing, what I was doing with my friends surrounding it. And I think with poetry, I have to literally digest experiences before there's language to meet those experiences. And I like to start my work with language because I think that's most fruitful. So a lot of what I was doing without having digested, like living through very strange experiences for me, a lot of what I was doing was putting language on the page that wasn't arriving at any revelation or realization. And I like to see some revelation and realization and not just 
uh, word play or word games, if that makes any sense. After some level of surprise. Yeah. But you don't know the difference. I mean, if you, the, the problem with starting in language is you're trying to figure out what you have to say. You don't know what you have to say when you first sit down at the page. So sometimes you don't figure it out. <laughs> Do you know That's what I mean? You which is in and you're like, oh. uh, which is not what I'm telling people when I'm when I'm teaching workshops and giving readings. Not what I'm telling my students, but it is true. You know, there are pages and pages of poems that are not yet poems that are not in the tradition or the New Testament or please. You know what I mean? And won't be. You know, I won't be able to catch up to them. I love the language of revelation. I know that we want to ask you, what's moving you these days, Jericho? Oh, this is the question that um, <laughs> we, we backtracked to it because we, <laughs> you we, we jumped straight you in. You give me time to have an answer. <laughs> we jumped straight in. So I, um, just because I feel like it's the right, I mean, really the right thing to do. I listen, I've been listening to this new Beyonce album. So I'll, I'll say that that's what's, that's probably the thing that's moving me because I'm just interested in in how it was, how well it was put together and how it was put together. Uh, and also, as with all musical artists, I'm interested in how her voice has changed over the years, where she has control, where she has emotion or seems like she has emotion. To me, um, I'm really interested in her upper chest, um, which she is not, she's not screaming no more. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, she's like, hi, my name's Beyonce. I'm an alto. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Although yeah. she's hitting notes higher yeah. than she's ever, I think, ever hit before through these runs that she's doing now, which is really interesting. So I think I'm moved by that because uh, it always inspires me to see people do things over a long, I'm older than her actually, but it is. it inspires me to see people do things over a long period of time. I mean, in many ways, we sort of started at the same time because I, why am I talking about things that tell everybody how old I am? But I, um, <laughs> but I finished college in 98. So, you know, Destiny's Child was coming out around then. So I always feel like, oh, as long as she can like keep going and changing and doing what she needs to do, then I can keep going and changing and doing what I need to do. You mm. know what I mean? So it's, I think I'm, and I'm moved. I'm always moved by somebody who's able to like keep working no matter how much things change and allow themselves um, to change. I also think it's really wonderful to have an album that is, I don't know that anybody's been talking about this, but there's a way that we don't get to see very many Black women make use of sexual expression in mm. their art after a certain age yeah, for sure. and given the fact of being a mother. You know, yeah, Beyonce is a mother sure. of three and maybe she's 42 or 43 years old now, 41, something like that. Um, and so it's interesting to me that she's made this album that allows for that and people are accepting it. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? I absolutely know what you mean. People because... haven't shut her off as the possibility um, or her possibility as a sexual being or, or, or of having real sexual expression come to them that they themselves can then have as a result of having heard the song. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Which I'm um, really, really taken by. But maybe taken by in an opposite direction because I'm sort of writing about everything but sex now, which is interesting. Oh, spicy. Mm. What, what would you say caused that shift? Um, I don't know. 
I mean, other than I haven't been having a lot of it, which we need to do something about. <laughs> I mean, the real problem, the real question is, why are you not fucking Jericho? The, <laughs> the people want to know. The real, listen, they're slacking. The, they're slacking. the real question is, Jericho, come on, bro, get laid. Oh. Anyway, um, no, I think uh, there's something in me that when I'm writing now, I'm being probably even harder on myself. So there's something about, in my work at least, for the not for everybody, because this I want to read this, but I just don't want to write it right now. If I see myself pushing toward um, the sexual image, I kind of push away from it because I want to see what else, just because I want to see what else I could possibly get to. But I'm not saying no to sex if it comes up. I'm just, I just want to make sure it's not the easy thing Got for it. me. Uh, obviously, it's not the easy thing for other people. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, what would be difficult for me is, I don't know, writing about the reason why the line in the middle of the road is yellow. Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. But for somebody else, that's probably like, well, I know the answer to that. That's easy. Do you understand <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. So I think um, for me, it's just about giving myself, whenever I'm writing, I have to have certain boundaries and I have to have certain level levels of difficulty I'm trying to attain. You know, in in all areas, that's with the line, that's with the language itself. Um, yeah. I wanted to go back to your comment about Beyonce and like the longevity of her career. And because I think that's something that like fascinates me about you is how like. How your work has been both consistent, like I know Jericho's poems, I know Jericho's voice, but also. It's like three different books from three different people or something. Sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah, like yeah. also has has changed, like has mm-hmm. transformed in each space and still kind of maintained who you are in your career. But there's a transformation with each book. Like I don't feel like I'm reading the same book over and over again. And I'm wondering how you stay not just connected to poetry, but how you are able to approach things differently with like mm-hmm. your work or each project. Mm-hmm. You know, I could say something really... Um, positive, affirming, and inspirational. Um, and and that thing would be true, but instead... <laughs> Listen, give us the real t- <laughs> Since I said that thing about how, you know, sometimes the experiment doesn't work out, um, I'll also, I will say, to answer this question, sometimes it's really process of elimination, and that's okay. You know, like, people are always like, do you love Atlanta? And I'm like, yeah, I love Atlanta. And I know I love Atlanta because I don't love nowhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. Like, I don't want to live anywhere cold. I don't want to live anywhere that's not the South. I don't want to live anywhere that's not a city. Where do I live? Do you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's all, it's nar- it starts to narrow itself down, right? Yeah. I already lived in New Orleans. I already lived in Houston. I know what that's about. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So I think um, I can stay committed to poetry because it's when I look at anything else, I still want to go right about. <laughs> Listen, that's you how know you know. I mean? okay. Like you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like I'm, um, I'm really. I mean, you know, I say this, and then I mean, I'm good at other things, but I'm really not good at other things. Do you know what I'm like? I'm good yeah. at other things that I would not know how to monetize. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yeah. I'm yeah. saying? Like I don't like so I don't um I don't think. I don't think um, there's anything else for me. And because there's anything else for me, I can make that its own world. Like there's a world called poetry and nobody 
you know, and nobody lives in it but me and the other poets. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's why, like, I love the poets so much because they live in this world with me and I can have conversations with them that I can't have with anybody else. I'm um, doing the selected poems of Reginald Shepard now. And I was um, reading one of the books, you know, choosing poems for one, from one of his books. And uh, somebody texted me and I told him I was reading. And, and then he said, what you read? And I was just like, something for work. Because I couldn't, I, could, I didn't want to say I'm reading wrong by Reginald Shepard and them be like, what? You know? Like, right, right. Like, like oh, it's yeah, not, like it's it's not, not a big the deal. full yes. agreement. <laughs> I don't feel like explaining it via text message not right now. <laughs> but seriously, like no, if you, you tell somebody you're reading and then the, the answer to what you're reading is the four agreements, there's a knowledge there that's sort of automatic. Yeah. Do you understand yeah. what I mean? I sort of like uh, that I'm a part of this um, high art, fine art, esoteric thing that in spite of its esoteric nature, everybody has access to it. Yeah. It is community oriented. It is naturally in and of itself interested in justice. Mm -hmm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it is, it is, it wants nothing more than truth. Do you know what I'm saying? So I love it. And so when I'm in that world, I can make, because there's nothing else in that world but that world and its poets and its poems, I can make rules for myself in that world that I can't make outside that world. You know, I made this rule for myself that I wasn't going to get my mom any more gifts because um, she was complaining about a gift. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you said that I made no more gifts? Yeah. And then, um, and then gift time came around you know i don't know if it was mother's day or a birthday or what but gift time came around again and my sister was like what are we gonna send mama I was like, Damn. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what i'm saying I, and i you know and i was like well i'll just give you half <laughs> you yeah. know what I, you send her whatever you want to send i'll just give you half you know what i mean right it's like how i'm handling that now but i broke the rule yeah i i'm always breaking the rule otherwise but in the world of poetry, I can sort of keep up with my rules. And if I break them, it's because I'm going to end up with a poem. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I break a rule with my mama, my mama's still going to act crazy. <laughs> Listen. She's going to act crazy if I keep the rule or not. <laughs> Baby. Do you know what I'm saying? Baby. I can't pat my foot too hard right now. I catch my mama <laughs> listening. But <laughs> listen. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. So, yeah. So, that's what... I think that's how... I'm able to get things done when I'm able to get things done. But, you know, I don't get things done as often as I would like. I also wish I could do more things. You know, I'm taking an acting class this fall. I took one last spring. I took one um, back a couple of years ago. And so there's this whole other thing that I would like to see what's up. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's like, how do you see what's up with that? You're trying to write poems and you're trying to write. Um, I'm working on a play. I'm working on a film script. I'm working on a book of essays. So... I'm, I got so many things going on, and I really am a person who is very one project at a time oriented. You know what I mean? But it's harder to be one project at a time. It's easier to be one project at a time oriented when you're in your 20s. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And you just feel like, wait, I got to get started. I, I need to do all of these things. So I think part of my difficulty lately has been about um, focus. And in the past, when that process of elimination, in the past, when that question has come up, poetry wins. Got it. And that's how books get, get written, mm. you know. 
Yeah, I also think it's different when you have kids and when you're a mother in particular. Yeah. 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 And it's um, hard. People are always like, oh, drop this thing. I'm like, oh, how? Tell me how. (laughs) Don't work that extra job. You show me how. You come look at my budget and then show me how not to work that extra job. I would love for you to do so. (laughs) Wow. Take a nap. Let me know in my schedule where I got time to take a nap. Wow. Whitney, we really hit a nerve. Listen. (laughs) It's stressful. (laughs) If in terms of project stuff with your process of elimination, poetry is usually what wins. Outside of poetry and outside of writing, work stuff, what brings you delight? Oh, wow. I love um, spending time with my friends. I do. I really like just hanging out with them and like, um, how do I explain this? There's a, um, I think I'm old enough now to know how to cherish the times that I just get to do nothing with people other than be silly. And I didn't understand before that that too was a part of life that I really needed to be happy for and cherish. Um, I think coming out of the pain, I was really, I mean, I think a lot of people were playing isolated, but I was really isolated. Yeah, no. And I think uh, it made me hungry for those connections again. And then now that I have those connections again, I take better care of them. Um, And they do still make me feel like writing. Which is which is really nice, and I've also I also realized that that's really at the root of a lot of my work. Reading is really necessary, but life experience itself and how you take on life experience, how you, um, how much you can be in the moment of having a good time that has nothing to do with poetry. If you can really be in that moment, then that w- that moment will probably end up in a poem. Or something about the language from that moment could end up in a poem. So I, uh, I would say that brings me joy. And I love music so much. So, you know, I listen to a lot of old stuff. I have everything on shuffle. So, you know, like there'll be like Abraham Hicks talking. And then suddenly Yolanda Adams is singing. And then suddenly it's future. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I and love then, that. And then suddenly it's like uh, The Temptations. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? And then suddenly it's Sheryl Crow, you know? And I like that. I really like having various musics from various time come at me out of nowhere. For some reason, that makes me really happy. And and then, I, you know, and I have poetry mixed in there too. So suddenly, you know, Langston Hughes is reading a poem, Nikki Giovanni's reading a poem. Um, that's been really useful to me. You know, to be quite honest with you, I have gotten a lot... Um, sort of I'm getting better at praying and um, making that conversation a conversation that I come away with feeling excited to have spent that time in the same way that you can feel excited to have spent time with a friend, you know, but it takes, that takes practice like everything else. You know, I love all of those things, especially the peace on friendship. Um, That makes my heart smile. I also am just, it makes my heart smile just imagining you being silly. Like, yeah. <laughs> imagine you being silly just in, in, in a group of close friends, especially yeah. in light of everything. Also, the peace and prayer. So one of the things that I'm really invested in in your work is the like really strong presence and influence of both the Black church and I think the tradition of theology bucking that shows up in your work. 
And a lot of times in interviews, when you talk about the black church, you talk about it as something that was like a part of your upbringing and like your first introduction to storytelling and all of these things. Um, So I'm wondering, can you talk more about what you turn towards now in terms of sacredness? And like, is there has there been maybe a shift in the sacred and divine and what impacts your work now? I mean, there is a shift because of the amount of time I'm spending in a black church. I still have access to it mm. in many ways because somebody's always going to send me a sermon or if I, you know, um, or if I go on Instagram, there's going to be, you know, Marvin Winans talk singing, sing talking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I still have access to all of the music. So I still know what's been going on. I mean, I don't completely know what's been going on because I don't know how the church got so conservative that they wanted to be like, I mean, people like the black church running up behind people like Donald Trump is weird to me. Yes. You know I, mean? yes. I don't know how I missed, I was taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes, yes, absolutely. It was not that way. I think something about George Bush's presidency began to shift that because of, um, those faith-based initiatives, which was smart on the part of him and the Republic Party, but really uh, not so smart on the part of big black me- megachurches because, you know, you're not serving people. You're not helping people if you have them making political decisions that hurt them. I'm sorry yeah. to say that. I hate no. to talk about this. No, no, that's um, fine. But it's it's it, just... It is a big theological shift. The black church has always been sexually conservative, yeah. but has never been liberation theology and in terms of... The presence of like racial things has always been on the more liberal end, but it's been conservative always in terms yeah. of sexuality and, you know, all of and gender. Yeah, but the church has become, the black church, it seems to me, has become completely capitalist in a way mm. that it was not, or at least not to my eye when I was a kid. I mean, definitely not before the full gospel movement. Maybe that started, maybe something about the full gospel movement, like, really took that off. I mean, really had that take off, I should say. I just, um, it's really scary for me because I know when I was a kid growing up at the church, it was giving me um, shelter in many ways. It was nurturing me. And now I don't see how it could be all that nurturing for young people, which is why it seems also the other thing that's happening in the black church is that people aren't going anymore. Young yeah. people mm-hmm. in particular are not going anymore. And then the, the the church's response to that is to still be, <laughs> yes. you know, what it was and to believe so desperately and deeply in hierarchies that clearly don't exist. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. for sure. Um, but when I'm writing, you know, I think of poetry. I think of, the, I think of reading poems, particularly if you're reading a right poem as an act of prayer. I think of writing poems as an act of prayer because it is an internal conversation that the self is having with the higher self. Mm. Uh, one way you know that you're praying when you write a poem, if you're a poet, and I imagine a lot of poets are listening to this podcast, is that when you look at the back at the poem, you don't know who the hell wrote it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're like, oh, I snapped. <laughs> 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 Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I do think... Uh, that there's a lot of that that's still there for me and definitely in the cadences of the work itself and in terms of what I can pull uh, in illusion in illusion and in in image, you know, a lot of that still is coming from the black church, Yeah, you know? So even in that last poem, when I say I have PTSD about the Lord, you know, that's on the face of it, 
that's sort of public, but that's also personal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think it's all still there. But the opposite has been important too, or what people think of as the opposite. You know, the sacred is important, but in poetry, you must have the profane. Yes. Um, just as much as you have the sacred. As a matter of fact, in any poem, anytime you write something down, uh, one of the things that I'm always doing is I'm trying to make sure it's opposite soon gets there. As soon as I write something down, I'm like, well, the opposite needs to be there too. The, the, the sound opposite, the sense opposite, the image opposite. How do you get the opposites in the poem? Because you want the poem to be like your life. Your life is yeah. not one way. The poems are not Hallmark cards. You know what I mean? You get a Hallmark card on Father's Day that says everything great about your dad and it is not lying. But that is not your relationship with your dad when it's not Father's Day. Yeah. There's some yeah. other stuff going on that Hallmark cards are not made to say. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But poems, on the other hand, just tell the damn truth. So you're going to get the sacred and the profane about your damn daddy. <laughs> and the, yes. the question is, can you read that truth and love your daddy anyway? Mm. Do you mm. know Do you know what I mean? That's, I mean, for me, yeah. that's sort of the magic um, involved with writing poetry and therefore why poetry in and of itself is, is faith oriented, right? You know, that magic is like, that's heavenly, right? That's spiritual. I love the nuance of the answer and being able to hold something that can hold all of those spaces in the same container mm -hmm. and not shift like what the container is saying or what the container mm -hmm. is doing, I think mm -hmm. is super, super valuable. Well, yes. your poems are doing this all the time, Brittany. You know, mm -hmm. like your poems actually are very good at being like, I love this thing I hate. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you're actually, yeah. you know, like that's part of the project of your, or at least last I checked, of your overall work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, um, that's what, that's what we ought to be, I think, in many ways striving toward, you Aww. know, as, as writers. Because then, then when people read our work, they don't feel foreign to themselves. Do you know what I mean? Which is the trouble of 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 the United States right now. <laughs> you know, the United States. I mean, po I mean, politically. I mean, uh, capitalism is really interested in people feeling foreign to themselves. You know, if you're if you're all about people as a commodity and people as labor, right? Then all you care about is what they can be as a work oriented thing, as a workforce. Therefore, when those people who are also capitalists start having feelings that have nothing to do with work, yeah, they feel foreign that, to themselves. Yeah. They're like, who is that? How dare I have these feelings that have nothing to do with paying for something? Mm. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Or consuming Or consuming something. something. Yeah. So we were talking about America and her raggedy ass a few seconds ago. Yes, okay. Let's put it And her raggedy ass. Um, which... And I mean, I suppose in some spaces it's taboo. It's certainly not taboo here. But makes me wonder about, like, as poets, right, and capitalism and all of those things kind of intertwine, I think there's an expectation that we talk about certain things and not others. Or as public-facing people, maybe there's a pressure to talk about certain things and not others. We can talk about our writing. We can talk about craft but maybe not like about politics or maybe not say the taboo things even if they're not political and I think I'm wondering especially for someone who's had like a career as long as yours is is there a way in which you felt like you had to maybe curate your voice or curate your work early on and if so has that shifted at all hmm. 
I don't, you know, I don't think I was conscious of it, but looking back, I do think that happened. I think, for instance, in my first book, the poems that are particularly queer come later in the book. Mm. So, and I also think that one of the reasons the second, one of the reasons the second person is used so often in that book is I had, I anticipated um, a hostile reader because I knew the material was what the material was. Do you know what I mean? And so, and I, I thought uh, at that time, I thought I'm going to write this thing and it's going to make some people hate me. I wasn't mm. wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting is that something in me cared. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so I think all kinds of things like that happen and you don't even know that there, I didn't, sometimes these things happen because of you and you don't sit down and make them happen. They're just a part of the world you're living in. And so that's how you guide your life. Yeah, I think earlier in my career, there were definitely things that I was doing because I thought this is what I need to do. I mean, even in how I would dress to give a reading or what I thought was okay to say or what I thought was okay to read, I was definitely not reading um, queer poems earlier. You know, they would be in the book, but I wouldn't read them. I think I read them more, much more freely now, although even now, probably not everywhere. So, yeah. Looking at the influences that we have that show up in, like, our writing or who we are as people, we like to ask folks if you can name three people across any genre that someone who did not know you or your work might have to study to understand you, what three folks would you choose? And, again, it's across, like, any genre in the world. Like, quite frankly, you got to go into a Detroit beauty supply store to understand <laughs> me as a person or to understand mm -hmm. my aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. So that's smart. That makes sense actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so smart. Um, <laughs> that's really smart. So there's a kind of music that I think really flowered in the 70s and I I, I associate in particular with um Stevie Wonder and Earth Wind and Fire. And I because I want to put that in one category, I can't say Stevie Wonder you know what I mean? So I'm just going to say that, whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever has, like, as many instruments as possible. Mm. <laughs> I love that. Sort of working at the same time that somebody is also singing as an instrument, but singing crazy. Okay. Do you know what I no, mean? I know exactly the genre like that that's, you mean. That's one thing um, um, that also feels good and is lyrically, you know, those songs by those, by those people are so... Um, so interested in um, lyrics that are, are soulful in and of themselves. Do y'all know what I mean? Like when you listen to Earth, Wind & Fire songs and you, you hear the lyrics, it's like, they're like, it's all motivational speeches. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Which is, you know, something else I like. I like that about trap music too. Um, so there's that. I think that's one of the genres. And those are two authors in those genres, right? And then um, I would say... I would say American poetry in the 1950s is probably the second, um, the late 50s in particular. Uh, it's probably the second genre. Early 60s, you know, Plath kills herself in 63, I think. Maybe 61, but probably 63. So something about that era, something from maybe, um, I would say, 50 to 63. Something that includes... 64 or 5, um, something that includes Ariel, something that includes Howell, um, something that includes um, 
something that includes Black Mountain, something that includes Deep Image, you know, Robert Bly, um, Robert Duncan, uh, all the Roberts. You know, if you're reading a Robert in American poetry, you're probably doing the right thing. <laughs> um, there are a lot of Roberts. I don't know if y'all have noticed that. There. It's like a lot of Roberts. Yes. Anyway, so I think it's strange. So um, <laughs> so I think that would be the second genre. And then um, what's the third thing? I, mean, I guess it's the church, the black church, mm -hmm. which we talked about earlier. That would be the third genre, you know, and all that that includes, preachers and the singers, the people talking. You know, um, black people talk a certain way, particularly when they have to talk in front of the church, but at church. Yes. That is so uh, still completely not the, the way the English language is supposed to work yes. and yet <laughs> lift it into this dignified manner of mm -hmm. the English language, which I think is... Giving honor to God. Yeah, which is really beautiful. Who is the head of my life in my house. Yeah. yeah. Even yeah. even the way cadences shift when you move from announcements to testimony. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's my jam. I like that answer. Very consistent. We got time to take a break. You want to go to the bathroom? You can. You want to drink something? You can. Okay. So we are going to be playing Fast Punch. Would you like to be a pessimist or an optimist? An optimist. Lovely. All the black people just got mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> optimist. <laughs> we got to learn how to hope a little bit, how to, how, to, how to see the glass half full. She is not on board. What's up? No, yeah, I'm going to pick optimist. Lovely. So we are going to give you some categories, and you are going to tell us the best thing in that category, and it'll be kind of quick, kind of fast. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No problem. Right. So don't elaborate. Don't do that thing I do where I have to keep running my mouth. <laughs> you can, if you want to, you can give like a tea, but this is not the big. I'll do my yeah. best. I, I think I understand. All right. Best type of meter. Like in a poem, best type of meter. Iambic tetrameter. Ooh, okay. Knew it was going to be fancy. Okay. Best hymn. You'll never walk along. Mm. I hope that's a hymn. Mm. <laughs> best television mm. sitcom. Okay, I have a poem about the Jeffersons that I'm going to read today, so I'm choosing the Jeffersons. But I don't really know if that's my answer. I think my <laughs> answer might be go the Golden Girls. Oh, that. love that. Best instrument? The trumpet. Best thing about living in the South? The food. Okay. <laughs> I felt that in my spirit. But also, like, the men. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> mm. <laughs> It's just true. <laughs> okay. Best music genre? R&B. Mm -hmm. Best card game? I want to say spades, but I sort of want to say blackjack. I'll say spades. Uno. Uno. My, new, my new thing has been uno. Um, <laughs> Best poem title? Best poem title? Yes. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. That's great. Um there's a poem by um, one of my former teachers, a good poet named uh, Kay Murphy, and it's called Learning Not to Want. Mm. I always loved that title. Okay. So you won the game. I did. You I won. Did. I told y'all I, <laughs> I told y'all I was going to win. I cannot wait. To, I'm going to actually call everybody and be like, y'all, Brittany and Andre, they tried to play this game with me. <laughs> I don't know why. I killed them. I whooped their tail. <laughs> They came, oh my goodness. They came over with the game and couldn't even play. 
<laughs> it's so ridiculous. I won the first time I played. It's embarrassing. Oh my God. Please. Anybody want to play basketball? I'll get oily picture you talking shit over a space table. Like <laughs> I will play basketball. You will? I will play basketball. I would love to play basketball. I just I just joined you. the intramural team. Oh, really? I, I can't play. I'm very excited. But so the, the trick is that the the prize for winning the game is that we get to hear you read another poem. So oh. we won. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll read a poem and I just, and when I say just, I mean I really just wrote it. So therefore, it might not be the best reading because I haven't read it out loud. And this is my first time reading it in a public situation. So we love exclusive. Uh, you know, I think this will come out maybe in November or something like that, right? So by the time this comes out, the poem will be on different. <laughs> I don't have a different everything. Uh, here we go. Sitcom. A rabbit tried to kill Louise once when I was a kid. I'm saying Louise now, but I'd have said Miss Louise then as she appeared on our screens once a week wearing blues I haven't seen since. Her long hair curled, combed out, and pushed up into a volume so thick you felt both the power of an afro and the requirement of a relaxer on a woman rounder than most of her penthouse neighbors, hair that wouldn't move no matter how much she shook when she yelled at her husband or when trapped by a man dressed as a rabbit who wielded a snub-nosed 38 special we thought scary before we knew what an AR-15 could do. Miss Louise never sang, but she had a voice that left you wondering how singing might sound on her. She was that beautiful and dark. They had a grown son. She wasn't a young woman. By the time I saw the Halloween rerun, the youngest men in my hometown had organized themselves into colors red and blue. They were patriots, like patriots they'd shoot. And they'd shoot each other too. They'd shoot you if you accidentally scuffed their shoes at a club or a concert. They'd shoot driving by from their cars into houses and parks. They'd sell you something so good you'd sell our TV to get more of it. And I cannot say I didn't love them. They killed my first girlfriend, a stray bullet meant for her brother, and I loved them. They killed my cousin, but some of them were my other cousins, and I still loved us. In all my fear of our gold teeth and oversized dickies, they'd kill me today, yet remain a problem I mean to solve. I'm grown now. I know Louise was the star of the show, the leading lady. No writer would kill her off on a sitcom. Murder is meant for real life. Anybody can get a gun, but nobody kills Louise Jefferson. There is a place where black people don't die. A deluxe apartment in the sky. All week I worried about the next episode. Mornings I'd dress myself and my little sister, making sure we wore nothing that looked like the flag. And when the appointed night fell, the jokes were still funny. The rabbit apprehended. The white rabbit didn't murder the black lady. No, not on TV. Mm. That's the poem. So I messed up um, the reading, but I really haven't read it aloud. And it's got some link to it that I'm not used to, so I have to be, I have to stay in it to read it. When you got to the section about they killed my first girlfriend and I loved them, I'm like, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the Detroit girl in me was like, whoo. Yeah. Okay. I think we got to stop here so that we don't get put out. But well, let's not get put out. A, 
we must be over time already the way they laugh. <laughs> bye. We do our, yeah. Is we, this the public bye? No. Well, let me say bye. <laughs> bye. Bye, everybody. Thank y'all. You've been the best. You've been the best year. Thank <laughs> you. Love you. I love you back. Y'all be good. Send me money. <laughs> Jericho, the way I appreciate you. That was such a fun interview. It was. <laughs> I don't think I expected to laugh that way. Um, I did. I remember. I remember the last time I saw Jericho. <laughs> uh, listener, it was at the watering hole. Shout out to the watering hole. Yes. Um, I think we went in 2018 for the manuscript fellowship. That was 2019. Was it 2019? It was 2019. Because it was That's that true. It's all uh-huh. a listen. Every year has been the same year <laughs> for the past however many years. It's all the same kind day. Of construct. Um, yeah. And I just remember laughing, laughing far too. I still laugh at some of the things that Jericho said <laughs> in 2019. I think talking to Jericho today made me think about delight in a very specific way. Um, I think delight is like a, a particular niche of joy, if you will. Um, and because joy is something mm-hmm. that I'm not often thinking about, I extra am not thinking about delight. But talking to Jericho and hearing him be excited about things and laughing about things even when it's stuff like just the joy of hanging with your homies I think I'm going to try to carry that with me as a pursuit for this year I absolutely love that I love that especially thinking about the necessity of delight and pleasure that has nothing to do with the work whatever the work is for you Um, for some folks that's multiple kinds of work I think for me I realize I really love things that appeal in some capacity to like my senses Mm. so like one of the reasons I love cooking is because I love exactly the way I make my food I love that I know exactly the texture taste combinations that are going to set me off (laughs) like everybody else is like I love that or if I can choose to get my eyebrows nails toes done or massage I'm always going with a massage. Mm. I think that and then as far as things that just bring me lots of pleasure and delight, it's like things that appeal to like my senses that make me feel some kind of pleasure and then like relationships. And then even that is somehow tied to pleasure. Like being with Brittany, yes, but like being cuddled with Brittany (laughs) while we're warm and I'm laying on her and she feels soft. Like that's like. That's top tier. (laughs) That's the top tier. I can't with you. Because <laughs> um, uh, why, why are we together cold? Like, you know, like, <laughs> why is it snowing? Why are we stumbling through the rain? Like, why? <laughs> I'm distressing. So if I'm thinking about things that bring me delight, gossiping with um, the mother's board, which is what I call my mom, my aunts, my granny, <laughs> that I think is delightful. I think it's a moment of seeing them with their hair down. And also, I think that beauty routines delight me. So, like, the moment when I sit in front of my nail tech and I tell her I don't know what I want done and she comes back with a masterpiece, I find that delightful. Like, that brings me genuine, genuine joy. I love getting the surprises of those, the surprise pictures of, like, look what she did. I know. Because <laughs> um, I never know what I want listening mother- there. I never have a plan, but seeing somebody create something and you know what it is but it's not I think about it I think is that I think it is that she knows me so well and that I trust that she knows me well and I'm like okay cool whatever comes out is gonna be great and then when it's great I'm like wow this is really (laughs) 
this is really a great long-standing thing. I love that for you. And I love the mother's board thing. I love the moment of realizing, like, y'all think I'm grown enough Listen. to me some tea. Like, y'all, especially after years of being told to stay out of grown folks' business, to have the grown folks' business brought to you? And I just... Crazy. I stay quiet. You know, I get my occasional, mm-hmm, so they know I'm listening, but I don't you pat can't my give foot no too advice. much. Listen, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to cut out the tea, so... But I find that delightful. That is pure delight. Oh, man. Okay, Vess. Do you have anybody you want to thank today? Uh, You know what? Since we were just talking about nails, I'm going to thank Mika, my nail tech (laughs) in Detroit. Um, If y'all come visit, listeners, come visit me. You got to hit me up. So I want to thank the woman who owns Native Moon Apothecary um, in Cincinnati, who sold me this gorgeous, gorgeous purple flower petal that like makes this blue purple tea and it helps with nerves and anxiety. And it's, it's just so nice. And she was so sweet and kind to me. It was the highlight of my weekend. I'm glad for you, Bess. I know how you feel about your herbs. That makes me smile. Yes. We also would like to thank Danny and the staff at Bravo Ocean Studios, the Poetry Foundation, Itzel Blancas, Yadami Noriega, Elon Sloan, Sim Pim, and Ombi Productions. And before we close out, we would love to let you know about a new podcast that brings you closer to an iconic American poet, Emily Dickinson, and connects you with some of the great American poets of now. The podcast is called The Slave is Gone and is co-hosted by our guest this episode, the one and only Jericho Brown and Brian Janae, also known as Breezy. On each show, Jericho and Breezy take an episode of Apple TV's award-winning series, Dickinson, and talk back to it. They break down what's emotionally true and what's historically true with the help of scholar Aoife Murray and today's leading poets. The conversations on The Slave is Gone are irreverent and informative, mixing after-show gossip with the deep realities of Emily Dickinson's America and ours. And always, it comes back to the poems, Dickinson's and those of our guest poets, including Danette Smith, Evie Shockley, Tracy K. Smith, and the new U.S. Poet Laureate, Ada Limon. Please subscribe to The Slave is Gone on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, as well as to Versus. Thank you so much for listening with us. Please look out for our resource sheet. Until next time.